everyone. I'm Nicole. And I'm Cindy. And welcome to Coffee with the Queen. We're excited to have you on board for our first podcast. In this podcast, we'll be discussing the basic differences between Arabica and Robusta, starting with their growing conditions, environmental impact, taste, and the most importantly, use. Arabica is grown in its native condition, which is high-grown, shade-grown in native old-growth forests. Coffee is naturally a very slow-growing plant that does well with stable climate, dry soil. It's very similar to wine. Coffee roots like to dig deep for their water source. That's what keeps them very potent and develops some of these really rich flavors that it absorbs up from the soil. Arabica is shade-grown, high-grown, in low water use. When we talk about high grown, we mean very high grown. The tree must be grown at a minimum 2,000 feet above sea level. Aren't most of the queen bean beans above 4,000 feet? Yes. So the, the only restriction they have on growing height of the beans is the feet above sea level or meters above sea level. So at the queen bean, we only use what we call shade grown, hide grown, All Arabica beans are shade-grown, but to get a shade-grown, high-grown, which is what we have at the queen bean, they need to be over a certain feet above sea level, basically where you'd start having a natural indigenous old-growth forest. But at the queen bean, yes, we only use specialty coffees that are shade-grown, high-grown, or very high-grown. And the reason we do that goes into the next thing we were talking about is the environmental impact. At a certain altitude, the environment provides natural pest control, which means coffees are grown naturally you have a much lower risk of developing any bug-borne disease or even coffee rust. And isn't that a bigger problem for Robusta's pest problems? Well, we're going to go into that in a minute, but actually Robusta's are much hardier than Arabica's. So Uh. yes and no. Most Arabica's that are shade-grown, high-grown, and they're a native type of environment will need no or absolutely minimal pest control. Often the, the natural environment will provide enough pest control in terms of bats and um, as we said, they're just much less susceptible because there's fewer bugs, there's fewer everything up there. Robusta is low-grown, so it can grow at sea level, where Arabica is grown generally under a native canopy, ideally. <laughs> I shouldn't say always. Some people do use, some farmers do use artificial canopies. They'll put up tarps high up on the mountain, create an artificial canopy, and then they can still call their coffee shade-grown. Robusta is the complete opposite. Robusta is grown very low, can be grown at sea level in full sun. Even though they're both coffee plants, this is where the species difference really comes into play. So Arabicas are taller in general. They can grow to 12 meters. They tend to be narrower and their cherries tend to be a little darker and they're just overall more delicate. Robustas are shorter, really at a maximum. They'll grow to 10 meters in height. They're fuller. Their leaves are a little waxier and stronger. And they're just very resistant plants, which is why they have grown in popularity. They produce more. So Arabicas can generally only produce one one crop per year. Robusta could produce multiple crops per year. Nicole, does this have anything to do with the rootiness of the plant? Are the roots of the Arabica deeper? Not to my knowledge. My understanding from what I've read is just they're different species. It's like having two different species of trees where one might be incredibly resistant to certain environments and the other is highly susceptible to pretty much anything that comes around. I, I don't know the, the nuances of why, but I'm going to guess it's genetic. Brings us right into our next topic of differences, which would be the environmental impact. Arabicas, as we said, are shade-grown and high-grown. They're also carbon-sequestering shrubs. So 
They're great for the environment. <laughs> if you drink Arabica coffee, you may notice a label that says Rainforest Certified on some of your coffee bags. That means that these beans in these trees have met the highest environmental standards and they're actually helping the environment. They're doing something great for the environment on their own. And Arabica is often grown in old growth forests, which means that there's no deforestation resulting from the growth or harvesting of these beans. Isn't okay. it true that for a lot of robusta growth, there's rampant clear cutting of trees? Yes. If they're growing on a side of a mountain or they're growing in any field, there will need to be clear cutting and low cutting. Often, if you're growing at sea level, as they do often in Indonesia, no, you wouldn't necessarily need to clear any fields. Robusta grows really low, literally at sea level. Another big problem with robusta is monocropping. So they really destroy the land by growing the same crop in the same field year after year. It just depletes the soil. So does that mean they need to clear more land in order to continue to grow it? Yeah, I mean, I would think that they have to, but a coffee tree can last for 100 years. A coffee tree takes about 20 years to mature. So it will start producing, I think, at age seven. But your best coffee is going to come between the ages of about 20 and 40. And then as you get older coffee beans... They, I mean, I actually think some of the best coffee beans are from the older plants where they get rounder and deeper and you start developing pea berries. So a pea berry bean is a mutation. We will talk about this in another podcast, but it's a mutation where rather than having a split seed in a cherry, you only have a single bean, a single cherry seed, which creates a really round, rich, full flavor. So yes, it does create a problem for a lot of these fields that have gone into commercial robusta farming. They were probably just at the point where they'd start to be cropping or expanding their fields because you can't really, you can't move the tree. It's amazing all this talk about, about growth condition and soil condition, just how many parallels there are between coffee growing and wine growing. I think people just don't know that. Oh, there's tons. Coffee and wine, I'd like to say they grow in very similar conditions. There are incredible similarities between the environment and the quality of a coffee and the environment and the quality of a wine. Coffee, just like wine, absorbs nutrients and flavors from their surroundings. It's best if they have time to mature. The vines, in terms of like the plant life and the vine life, I would say they're very similar, probably peak at similar times. So there are a ton of similarities and a ton of taste similarities. If you are familiar with our blog, I think we, we have written one entry on how to identify the coffee you like from the wine that you like, because just as with wine, Coffee has a number of different flavors, tones, textures, and they're all almost entirely related or created based on their environment. It's really interesting. The next thing, it's probably the most important thing to you, is the taste. At first sip, you will know the difference between an Arabica and a Robusta. Arabicas are incredibly, incredibly smooth. They leave almost no aftertaste, and they will have complex shaded flavor notes that will range from everything from spicy earth tone to deep chocolate right up through a rich raspberry or, or tangy orange. It's really a complex cup, smooth, no aftertaste. Robusta, on the other hand, is going to be much more bitter. It'll have almost a sour taste and it will have a very lingering aftertaste. It has almost like a kick to it. Uh, you'll feel it. I don't know how to say this, but it's going to feel a bit like an electric jolt when you drink it. You may also get a, a odd little oatmeal-like taste in the, in the aftertaste. Part of the reason for this, well, again, the growing conditions and the time to maturity, as we said before, Arabicas often only produce one crop a year. So the, the cherries are on the plant for much longer than they are with the Robusta, which can produce anywhere up to four crops a year, two to four crops a year. We're biased. We're trying to 
We are. We <laughs> recognize that there is a lot of benefit to Robustion. We'll tell you how people use it and how they have used it really effectively. We are an Arabica only roaster, but that's because we love single origins. We love to really taste the native natural flavors of coffees and all the complexities within them. Once you start drinking Arabica and experimenting with different beans from different regions, you notice the flavor profiles of each coffee. And once you go Arabica, you just can't go back. The nuances <laughs> of the flavor and the depth of the profiles become so elegant and so ingrained in your morning routine, there's no way that you can return and become a Robusta drinker again, in my opinion. Yes. The only caveat there would be for those of you who really want that strong caffeine kick, that, that electric, you know, that shot of electricity that running through you, because Robusta has significantly more caffeine than an Arabica. So for a six-ounce cup of Robusta, you're looking at... On average, 2.7% caffeine versus 1.5% in a typical or average Arabica cup. You really don't have to have the Robusta to get a caffeine kick. You can have a little bit more coffee. You can add a shot of Arabica espresso to your morning coffee. Yes, you could. And actually, not trying to preach here, but coffee will only stay in your system for so long. So if you want to prolongate the impact of your caffeine, it's actually better to have less caffeine more frequently because that shot of Robusta and, you know, a shot of Arabica, they're both going to metabolize your system at the same amount of time. They'll both wake you up within 15 minutes. It's just how quick it will hit your system initially. They're both pretty much there. They're going to be leaving your body after four hours. So if you really want a, a cup that's going to work with you all day, we, I would actually suggest going to Arabica and having a smaller cup and then four hours later having another smaller cup. I agree um, with you. And going to throw this out here for those of you who read our blog. I'm going to throw a little teaser out here. Robusta is most often used in espresso. For specialty coffee, we create an Arabica-only espresso, but many coffee shops, even very good coffee shops, will keep a little bit of Robusta in their espresso so that you get this kick. But when you have this kick, you have the low that comes afterwards. And as coffee leaves your system, you'll feel tired. The androcine receptors begin to get thawed up again, you get sleepy. What do you do? You go for another cup of coffee. And if you have more than five cups of coffee a day, studies have shown that it increases the likelihood that you'll begin to hallucinate, that you begin to hear things, that you begin to see things. So we have a, after reading more about coffee as a hallucinogen, I lean even more now towards Arabica. This explains a lot about things that happened to me in my 20s before I knew about coffee. Me too. I mean, this this explains why sometimes when I'm traveling and I'm drinking hotel coffee, I'll think I hear someone call my name because I I'm, I get that high. And then I get the I'm like, oh, this is gross. I throw it out. Two hours later, I'm like, I need caffeine. I go get another one. And then by the end of the day, I'm like, did I just see something? Someone just call me? What's going on? We're really excited to talk about this study. <laughs> no, it's fascinating. And as I'm not even joking. I have less hallucinatory effects since I started drinking good coffee. And I do experience more when I'm traveling. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and that would make sense. Two independent universities have run similar studies and found the same thing. So, But let's delve yeah. into this in more detail in a future podcast. Yes, yeah, that's a little teaser on Arabica versus Robusta. That does go into what we were saying before is how it's used. Specialty coffee is Arabica coffee. But any high, high-end roaster... Most often, every single origin that you see available for purchase will be an Arabica. Very rare that you would find a Robusta single origin and not impossible. They said they don't have the nuanced flavor tones. They don't have anything that makes them really extraordinary. 
Nicole, doesn't single origin just mean that they're all grown in the same location? Yes. Every single coffee by nature is single origin. Great point, Cindy. If you had a local farming plot, like your own little garden, all your tomatoes and all your vegetables would be single origin. My tomatoes are single origin in the backyard. If you went to go sell them, yes, it'd be, you know, if you sold a bucket of your own tomatoes, it would be single origin. So every coffee by nature is single origin. But often when we go to sell them, coffees that do not have any exceptional qualities on their own, when roasted, will be used in a blend. So most Robustas do not have unique flavor tone. They don't have any unique characteristics that would really make them an extraordinary coffee just to drink alone. It sounds like Robusta is your basic B of coffee. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So often though, you see a lot of companies will do a mix of Arabica and Robusta. So they bring in the flavor with Arabica and then they will do you know, 20% Robusta as the filler and to give it that kick. Very, very common. These are good things to know if you're really into your coffee. You should know what you're drinking. You should know what you're drinking. And it makes it easier if you want to explore coffee in any way. You kind of need to know the difference between Arabica and Robusta or nothing that comes after will really make any sense. Or if you only drink Robusta and you read flavor descriptions of coffee and you go to taste your coffee and you're like, I don't taste any of this. I mean, you wouldn't because the beans don't have enough time to mature to develop a complex flavor palette. I think that's an amazing point because many people read these things about what coffee is supposed to taste like and they're like, I don't get it. And I think it directly relates to the quality of coffee they're drinking. It does. So we do see it even on the growing. So 70% of coffee that's produced is Arabica versus 30% that's Robusta. So most people are drinking Arabica or an Arabica Robusta mix. And that pretty much wraps up our basics on coffee. Promise, guys, it's going to get more exciting after this. Now we have a fun little bit with Cindy. If you follow our blog, you know that Cindy creates these incredible recipes with coffee, so lattes and cocktails. And this month, she's going to talk about her pumpkin spice latte, which is fantastic. If you haven't tried it, it's made with real pumpkin. I tried to make a latte with real pumpkin many times before she created this recipe and failed miserably. I couldn't get it to smoothen. It just tasted like I was drinking lumpy pumpkin and coffee. Her recipe is fantastic. She's going to highlight it today. As Nicole said, every month we're going to feature a drink, a latte, a cocktail on this podcast. And this month we are featuring the perennial favorite, the pumpkin spice latte. And I have two forms of it. I have it in a milkshake and I have it in a latte form. There are many versions and recipes for making a pumpkin spice latte. When you purchase one at your local coffee shop, typically they are using a flavored syrup and it is packed with excess sugar and excess calories. And you don't really even know what's going into it. What I like about making something myself is that I can adjust the calorie content, the level of sweetness, and the flavor profile to my own desires. My pumpkin spice latte succeeds because of three special features. I use natural pumpkin puree instead of a flavored syrup. The puree and spices are blended into the cream before I add the coffee. But as Nicole was explaining, this is what creates that rich, creamy, smooth flavor in the latte, and it makes it not lumpy, which you might experience if you try to just blend the pumpkin puree directly into the coffee. And the last little trick in my latte is that I use queenbean.com pumpkin spice coffee, which ups the flavor of the drink and it doesn't add any additional calories. So for the milkshake, the same flavors are present combined with ice cream and or some bourbon if you're so inclined. And the trick again to getting the right texture and creaminess is to blend the puree with the ice cream and the spices before adding the coffee. As Nicole said, 
Both recipes are up on our blog, coffeewiththequeen.com, and we would love for you to try it yourself. And please, please, we welcome all comments, feedback, and suggestions. So thanks, Cindy. The recipes and our blogs on the difference between Arabica and Robusta are available on our blog, coffeewiththequeen.com. But I'll also have links to the recipes into relevant articles on our podcast page, which is coffeewiththequeen.podbean.com. In case that's easier for you to follow or you're, you're already following us there. Matt, I'd just like to thank you guys for joining us for our first episode of Coffee with the Queen. To learn more about our coffees, please visit our website, thequeenbean.com. And for those of you who've made it this far, we do have a little treat. Please use code QUEENPOD, that is Q-U-E-E-N-P-O-D, one word, for 20% off your first order at queenbean.com. If you have any feedback for us, anything really on topics, on presentation, recipes, ideas, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at thequeenbean.com. If you really like us, please give us five stars. Otherwise, we'll see you in a few weeks. See you next time, guys.